coming up on the Six P's podcast, we are looking at the final four chapters from Year of Wonders. We're going to summarize them, look at the questions, and analyze the important quotations. That and much more is in store for you on the Six P's podcast right now. Great to have your company for one more edition of the Six Peace Podcast episode K today as we finish off our look over the Year of Wonders and summarising it. For those new to the podcast, if you would like to get in touch, you can send me an email on sixpspodcast at gmail.com. That's sixpspodcast at gmail.com. I'll be happy to answer any of your questions or take on board any feedback that you might have. But let's get into the next chapter, which is chapter 13, A Great Burning. Just to summarize this chapter, Alvinor becomes ill with fever, but she recovers. Michael Montpellion directs the villagers to burn their possessions. Aphra is unmasked as the ghost of Anise Gaudi, and she's punished for her fraud and Aphra slides into madness after the death of her three-year-old daughter, Faith. The first question asks you just to find quotes to describe Anna and Eleanor's relationship, and this relationship deepens even further, um, and it comes up in the very first line when Anna says, The first time I heard Eleanor cough, I tried to will my ears into disbelieving it. Uh, this awful situation that they find themselves in, Eleanor, one of the three core characters, finally succumbs to the plague. And for me, it's important because Anna, once again, gets a really good look into the relationship between the Montpellions. And if you look at um, page 234, she refers to her Michael and my Eleanor. There's that separation and that ownership of Eleanor that um, Anna has. In fact, she says later on on page 234, in my own heart, I could whisper it. She was my friend and I loved her. Let's not forget that this is, a, in a sense, a master-servant relationship, but it is obviously much more than that, um, and part of, I guess, the play. Following on from this, um, Anna's jealousy continues. She says on page 235 that every time Michael Montpellion came to sit by her, the flame of jealousy flared up in me. And this continues on from a previous chapter where Anna was extremely jealous of the couple. Later on, on that page, um, Eleanor speaks with Anna, and there's a great quote um, which I think surmises Anna's journey in this text. Eleanor says, I'm a fortunate woman to have been loved so in my life, to have been given a husband such as Michael and a friend as dear as you, Anna. And later on she says, I wonder if you know how you have changed. It is the one good, perhaps, to come out of this terrible year. Oh, the spark was clear in you when first you came to me. Now, how you shine. And it links back for me to that first chapter when Anna recognises that she goes from being a timid girl into a woman who had faced more terrors than many warriors. The next question asks you to find quotes which explain the burning. And this comes up later on when Michael implores um, all of the 
residents of Eam, those who are surviving, to burn all their possessions. In fact, it says on page 239, Michael says, we must shed ourselves of our worldly goods. This, of course, is um, a callback to George Vickers, who suggests the same thing to Anna, that she must burn everything. On page 240, I know he spoke about the cleansing power of fire and its use by men from the beginning of time as a symbol of rebirth. I know that he spoke as always with eloquence and force and that he used his beautiful voice as an instrument fashioned by God for such a purpose. Describing Michael Montpellion again uniting the whole town. It's described on page 241 by Anna that we had been stripped bare indeed and... Michael says, use this fire to cleanse our hearts as well as our homes and deliver us at last from the wrath of the disease that assaults us. Interesting to note um, that on the next page, 242, that Anna sees a skull in the fire, an image that alarms her and perhaps one that foreshadows the terrors that are to come. Now, we spoke about the ghost of Anisciati um, throughout this text as being one of those signs of superstition and it is finally unmasked that the ghost is in fact Aphra. Again another callback, um, she faces the wrath of the mob much like an Gaudi ironically um, and she's actually dunked into a pit of manure. Um, again the whole town or those who are surviving lead the charge. Um, you know Phrases like dunk her into the stocks are yelled. Um, this really sense of anger from the mob. And Anna suggests that the town are like wounded animals. She also notices Faith, Afra's daughter, and she says on page 244, her mouth opened in a wail that no one could hear for all of their own angry din. And as we said, Afra is thrown into a manure pit. The chapter closes with the death of Aphra's daughter and she slumps after that from her nonviolence. She sort of spirals into a, a sense of madness. On page 250, Anna says, I do not believe in witchcraft nor spells, neither in incubus nor succubus nor familiar spirits, but I do believe in evil thoughts and in madness and Aphra clearly is mad. Later on on page 251, she says there was nothing I could do for Faith or for Aphra, so I gave way to my craven impulse and fled from the place as fast as my legs would propel me. And that's what Anna does. She flees from Aphra. So we move to chapter 14, Deliverance. And just like the title is very short, so too is this chapter. It's extremely short, the shortest of the text. Uh, the plague finally abates. The villagers gather to offer thanks for a Thanksgiving service, but Avanor is murdered by Aphra. And in fact, Aphra turns a knife on herself as well and kills herself. The first question he just asks you to find quotes which show the effects of the plague's decline in the village. And I guess the first point comes up on page 253 where no one in the village really wants to talk about the fact that the plague is abating. Um, Anna says, Superstition, hope and disbelief. All these made a pact with our old friend fear and prevented us from doing so. And fear again comes up as a really important theme. It said that um, on page 254, for the first time in almost a year, there was not one newly face missing. And because of this, Eleanor pushes Michael to deliver a service of thanksgiving. This service, however, ends in disaster. Eleanor is wearing white 
Anna says she looks like a bride on page 257, but funerals to have flowers and winding sheets are white, foreshadowing what is to come later on in this chapter. So Afra turns up to the service. She, in a sense of madness, she's comforted by Michael and Eleanor, but in the process of them hugging her, they crush Faith's skull. Afra is, of course, holding Faith. Afra, devastated, turns the knife on Eleanor, killing her, and then turns and kills herself. It's a very graphic scene, exacerbated by the fact, of course, that Eleanor is wearing white and the blood is, of course, red. And it is a final moment in the text before we shift back to apple picking time for the second time. It's time for our first break, episode K today. We're going up north to the Northern Hemisphere for this week's music theme. It is, of course, K-pop. We'll be back with the last two chapters right after this break. very familiar to you because it was also the name of the first chapter signifying the fact that we've come full circle that this of course is a circular narrative in this chapter um, Michael is sunk into a profound grief and melancholy over the death of Eleanor he refuses to see any visitors at all Anna has a relationship with him but rejects him when he reveals the truth behind his marriage and we'll get to that a little bit later on Anna delivers the Bradford baby. You'll remember, of course, Elizabeth Bradford from the first chapter who came to see Michael. And after delivering the baby, Anna escapes from Ian with it. So the first part of this chapter really centres around Michael's grief and the grief, of course, for Avanor. Anna says on page 267, I think grief has undone him, yes, quite undone him. I don't think he comprehended any part of what I said to him. Later on, he says to Anna, falso in uno, falso in omnibus, Latin for untrue in one thing, untrue in everything. Michael has lost his faith. Just to quickly go to the crucible, we do see a number of characters lose their faith in there as well. Reverend Hale is the one I think of, um, a character who loses his faith in the court, in a sense in religion as well. Obviously, both characters have differing Um, stories and differing consequences as well so michael is grieving his death anna again we show her growth and this text is all about i guess to an extent plotting michael's faith 
um, decreasing and looking at Anna's strength increasing. Anna says on page 268, I wondered if fate had marked me to be the next in the long line of women that Anise had once spoken of, who tended those plants and knew their virtues. The thought oppressed me, and I turned from it. The Gaudi Garden would never again be a tranquil place for me. There are too many memories there of Eleanor. And again, Anna finds it difficult to get back to work. Once again, the village and the fear within the village um, continues on page 269. The fear that the plague might yet lurk within our village proved too great. Page 270 links back to the first chapter. So when you get to page 270, it actually repeats the phrase that Montpellion gave, the psalm that Montpellion gave to Anna. It was, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Once again, remember that psalm. It will come up a little bit later because Anna decides to go for a ride on Antaros. She is completely free here. In fact, on page 270, she says, The wind rushed by, blowing off my cap and freeing my hair so that it blew out like a banner behind me. Anna is free of everything, really, including of the social structures. And she says on page 274, I understood that when Michael Montpellion had been broken by a shared ordeal in equal measure, I had been tempered and made strong. Michael Montpellion catches her, though, And she says on page 275, again linking to her appearance, I was barely decent, riding astride with my skirt tugged up above my placard, my hair loose to the waist, my cap lost upon the moors, my cheeks flushed and misted with sweat. Again, showing that how that role of women has really changed. And um, we get that even later when Michael asks her, have you taken entire leave of your senses? And Anna, with complete conviction, Looked down at him from the height of Andros's broad back. She literally looks down on him and did not flinch from his stare. Have you, was my reply. Again, we see once again that call back to chapter one, where as a servant, a servant has no right. Um, she has a go at Michael Montpellion. And the attraction between Anna and Montpellion grows, and they end up having a bit of a moment because on page 275, Desire was so strong within me. After laying together, um, Michael admits that I never lay with Eleanor on page 279, and he reveals that he never slept with her. Although he now thinks he was wrong, he insisted that their marriage be celibate so as to make Eleanor atone for her past sins. And there are so many quotes on page 280 and 281 to describe their relationship and why he did it. I'm going to read the part from 280. Anna, there is a great difference between repentance and atonement. And later on he says, Eleanor's lust caused the loss of the life of her unborn child. How do you atone for a life? An eye for an eye, the Bible says. But what is such in such a case as this? What could she give in atonement for the life that, because of her actions, never could be lived? And because lust caused the sin... I deem that she should atone by living some part of her life with her lusts unrequited. The more I could make her love me, the more her penance might weigh in the balance to equal her sin. This really cruel sense of logic that Michael uses um, is awful to think of. In fact, Michael even says, when pushed on the fact, how did you do it? He says, 
when they want a woman, they school themselves to turn their thoughts to all vile emissions for her body. So I looked at that lovely creature and made myself think of her bile and her pus. And on page 283, Anna admits that suddenly his whole person was repulsive to me. She feels extremely guilty. The fact that again on page 283, she had stolen what should have been hers, being Eleanor's, and her wedding night, Anna is overcome with guilt. Michael admits he's wrong as well. He says on page 282, and now it seems there is no God, and I was wrong. In what I asked of Eleanor, in what I asked of myself, for of course I did love her and desired her, no matter how hard I turned the press down upon my own feelings. Wrong in doing that, and wrong, most shockingly wrong, in what I asked of this village. Because of me, many are dead who might have saved themselves. The end of this chapter um, focuses on Anna going to deliver the Bradford baby. And again, she helps deliver a baby successfully. Um, it is a bastard child, though, on page 289. It is bastard born of adultery. My father will not suffer it near me. And so Anna decides to take the baby and flee Ian. Before she does that, Michael goes to see her and says to her, to an extent, that one does not have to believe, after all, to bring comfort to those who yet do. I think you may have saved more than two lives this day. Michael is able to see what life is really all about. It's about helping others um, and being altruistic and ensures that Anna's fleeing from EM is safe. And that leaves us to with the epilogue where we find out that Anna has sailed from England and she's finally arrived in Iran where she makes a fulfilling new life, assisting Ahmed Bey with her two daughters, Aisha and Eleanor. The chapter starts with a reference to women's achievements. It's a poem by Margaret Cavendish. Um, again, a link to the knowledge that Eleanor had passed on to her. The epilogue for me is interesting to say the least. Part of me thinks that it was maybe an editor that said you have to somehow give this story a resolution. Um, But look, it it is what it is. Um, I don't go into a lot of great detail with it. Needless to say, she does marry. She builds a new life for herself. She builds it on the education and the achievement that she achieved during the year of the plague, the year of wonders. And she's now reading a book in Arabic, representing learning and scholarship. It also provides a link between her previous partnership with Eleanor and her present as well. Obviously, she takes on an extremely rewarding occupation. She is assisting Muslim wives and she has a new family. The last sentence of the text. Aisha grabs one hand, Eleanor clasps the other, and together we plunge into the jostling swarm of our city, the ownership of our. And that brings to an end our synopses of Year of Wonders. We're going to go to our second and final song for today. We'll be back very soon to wrap up. Chalaka, che 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 chalaka, be 
thank you so much for all your company on the podcast today. It's been great to have your ears. We're going to be back very, very soon. In fact, we're going to turn out quite a few podcasts in the next week. We're looking at The Crucible now. There'll be one per act. We're going to look at, again, summarizing, looking at the key quotations, and I guess getting a feel for areas that we can link and the crucible with your abundance. Until then, don't forget that proper prior preparation prevents poor performance. Pardon the interruption, everyone, and cue the irony. I've got an epilogue to the chapter entitled Epilogue. Um, It's just the quote that I forgot. Um, It comes up on page 298. It's from Anna. She says, For I was not Eleanor after all, but Anna. It was time to seek a place where the child and I together might make something entirely new. This is Anna just simply reclaiming her identity. In case I forgot to mention as well, those two children, Aisha, that is obviously the biological child of Mrs. Bradford, um, and Eleanor was fathered by Michael Montpellion. So just forgot to mention that very important information. So ends the epilogue to the epilogue. We'll see you next time on the Six Ps podcast. Are we finished? Done.